Hey folks, it's Andy, the Analytical Preacher. Our topic for this podcast is going to be the Bible and government or the Bible and politics. Be a multi-part series here that we'll do on this topic. I think when uh, a topic like the Bible and government or the church and politics comes up, I think people are sort of immediately expecting this cantankerous debate about different policy issues. We may get there uh, at some point. In a future podcast, what I really want to do to kind of start us off on the appropriate path, I want to use this podcast to explain what the Bible says about government, um, where the institution came from, what the function of government is, a Christian's role in interacting with or participating with their government, etc. So let me start off that way. It's important probably to mention that Government is a biblical, it's a God-ordained institution. Government is not a man-ordained organization or institution. The Bible actually establishes three main institutions, three main entities, through which the Bible envisions society being structured and managed. Uh, The first and probably still the most important of those institutions is the family. So God obviously ordained the family as a way to bring children into the world, to raise children, and to help manage and structure society. God ordained governments, second, as a way to manage and structure society. And then after the ascension of Christ, after his resurrection, God ordained and put into place the New Testament, New Covenant, or Christian church, as we call it. We'll talk a little bit about those three institutions and sort of how they overlap in in a future podcast. The truth is, there's obviously some overlap in those three institutions in, in managing and structuring and working within society. But honestly, the Bible gives them each specific functions. And to sort of use a modern terminology, I really think God would say to some degree, each one of them needs to sort of stay in their lane, if you will. And so what we want to be careful is that we don't bleed government out into a role that really belongs to the family or into a role that really belongs to the church. So again, we'll hit those points a little bit later. Probably the best place to start, if you want to talk about the Bible and politics or the Bible and government, scripture and government, is to go to Paul's writing in his book of Romans, go to the first seven verses of the 13th chapter of Romans, and Paul gives us a pretty clear picture of what God has ordained and the purpose of it. Let me read Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed." And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. 
For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Paul's comments here are very, very clear. God ordained governments. God approves of governments. God instructs citizens, especially Christian God-fearing citizens, to obey governments, to live within their rules, to respect the authority, and to pay all of our taxes due. We learn from this that the main overriding, overwhelming role of government in society is to both restrain and to punish evil. There's even a phrase in here about governments bearing the sword. They do not bear the sword in vain, Paul says. To bear the sword means that governments are allowed, it's approved by God, that governments punish wrongdoers up to and including the death penalty. And I think we sometimes think that Christians or Bible followers are opposed to the death penalty, but actually the Bible speaks about it. It begins in Genesis chapter 9. So you're only nine chapters into the entire Bible. And after Noah has come off the ark with his family, among the other instructions that God provides, he says this in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. And from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. God is saying, I am approving of, you could even read that as, I am requiring the death penalty for murder. If someone intentionally murders another human because the human they have murdered is made in my own image, God says, then I need, I'm not coming down and adjudicating every case. I need other humans to establish a government that then executes or enforces punishment up to and including the death penalty. Now, there are a number of Christians who are opposed to the death penalty in America, but not because it's an unbiblical thought. The death penalty is not unconstitutional, given our founding documents, and the death penalty is not unbiblical, given verses such as this. And there are other verses in the Bible, including the Romans 13, the government bears the sword. The reason some Christians are opposed, and and pretty adamantly opposed to the death penalty in America, is their feeling that it is not justly applied. And so we can go back and look at verses where God has talked to his prophets and said that one of the things that bothers him about the societies as they evolve into the societies as they exist is that they don't provide equal justice to people. Uh, One example is Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, God calls the prophet Isaiah, and one of the things he tells Isaiah is he's really fed up with Jerusalem because they're not living the way he asked them to live. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, God says this, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, God says, 
learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So, governments primarily exist to constrain evil, to punish wrongdoers, to protect its citizens from the harm of other citizens or or I guess other non-citizens as well. But we want to make sure that we apply any punishment and certainly the extreme punishment of capital punishment. We have to make certain that we're applying it with justice fairly and equally and not with oppression against any one group. All right, let's move on. The Apostle Peter says something similar to what we just read. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans about government in 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start in verse 13. Apostle Peter says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So Peter is just as adamant as Paul. You cannot say, because I am a Christian and my loyalty is to God, I do not have to recognize, much less obey this man-made government. Paul and Peter both say that is absolutely incorrect. For the Lord's sake, Peter says, be subject. And he actually says to all these institutions. So we would say to students, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't have to obey the principal and the administrators at your school. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't have to obey your boss at work. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't have to pay taxes to the government or obey the rules and regulations of the government. In fact, in order to be the best Christian, you need to do exactly that. You need to be the best possible citizen. In a different letter, the Apostle Paul writes to a young preacher that he was mentoring named Timothy. And Paul writes to Timothy uh, this about those in authority. First Timothy, first letter of Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. They're not only saying, obey the rules, pay the taxes, but they're also saying, pray for those in government. And we're not just praying for them and praying for their wisdom and praying for their leadership, but we're also specifically praying that Christians are allowed under whatever government they live under to live peaceful lives where they can worship God in their own way. And so if you say to me, so then Christians are to be obedient to the government, they're to respect the government, pray for the government, give honor to the emperor, pay their taxes, I would say all those things are absolutely true. But we kind of hit on this idea of, us living peaceful and dignified lives where we can worship and be the Christians that we think God is calling us to be. There is one out clause that we are given in Scripture. If a government or an authority of any description 
explicitly tells us we are not allowed to talk about the gospel. We are not allowed to worship God. Then we are allowed to push back. Now, for those of us in America, 99.99% of the time, that's simply not the issue. Uh, But it is in there because there are occasions when a government tries to clamp down on religion. And then when people say, now, which am I supposed to choose? The Bible would say, you choose God. And, and we get this from Acts chapter 5. The early church had just been started. Jesus had just gone back to heaven after his resurrection. He had just gone back to heaven. The apostles were preaching in Jerusalem, and they were getting in a little bit of trouble with some of the authorities. And so we, we get a case where they are brought before the authorities, and we read this, Acts chapter 5, verse 27 to 29. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So when a government or an authority tells you that you cannot mention the gospel, you cannot speak of Jesus being crucified and resurrected, you cannot pray even privately, and you cannot say that God is Jesus Christ is your Lord, when things get to that breaking point, then we are told to choose God over the governments. Otherwise, we are to understand governments are of God designed by God and used to restrain evil and protect citizens. Let me clear up one other point that I get a question on occasionally. Some folks have asked me, is it all right for Christians, one, to serve in the government? Like if church is supposed to be separate from government, is it okay for Christians to serve in the government? And then more specifically, the questions are usually, is it okay for Christians to serve as police officers or in the military? Uh, the answer to all of those questions is yes. Again, there is no separation in the Bible uh, between the church and the government. They, they're distinct organizations that serve distinct functions, but they're both to exist in an overlapping fashion, again, to structure and manage and organize a society. There's no reason a Christian couldn't work in the government. And there's actually no reason a Christian can't work in the police, or in the military. Let me read you a really quick blurb from John the Baptist. When John was preparing for Jesus to come into his ministry, and John was baptizing people at the Jordan River, different folks came down, some honestly seeking God and seeking the Messiah. Some came down out of curiosity, and some came down to see if maybe uh, John was a threat. And so different folks came for different reasons. And we get a little blurb in uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 10. We get a little blurb about some folks that spoke to John. Luke three ten, And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And John the Baptist answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors, government administrators, government bureaucrats, also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. In other words, 
the tax collectors, the government workers, the soldiers, the police officers, the military. They said, and what should we do? Do we need to resign our positions if we are to repent and follow God and seek the Messiah? And John the Baptist said, no, there's no reason for you to do that. You just need to do your work honestly, as if you had any other job. Here's really the fat and skinny of this. Uh, Some pacifist religious denominations say that Christians should not work uh, in police or military. They they shouldn't be drafted and, and go to war to fight for their country. But that's simply because they're confusing what individual people are taught, turn the other cheek, do not seek revenge, etc., with what is granted to God by God as one of the roles of government. I cannot go out and do vigil anti-justice, but the government has been granted by God the right to yield the sword. So if I, as a citizen, go to work for the government and I yield the sword, as John the Baptist says, in an honest, righteous way, it's perfectly fine for Christians to be involved in government, police, military, etc. All right, let me close out with just kind of one really quick point here about Some non-Christians, I think, get this concern that what Christians ultimately want to do is blend the government and the church. And let me absolutely assure you, just as aggressively as I can, Christians have no desire to be bound up with the government. Absolutely none. I do not want tax money funding churches. I do not want churches trying to tell uh, governments trying to tell churches what to do. I don't want churches trying to set policy for the government. That is a dead end, horrible solution. It is true that God established a theocracy, a blended government and church when he first established the nation of Israel under Moses's old covenant laws. But the old covenant has passed. The new covenant has come. And under the New Testament covenant, under the new covenant of Christ, family, church, and government are all separate organizations. In fact, a lot of the immigrants that came to America from Europe, they came for exactly that reason. In France, the government supported the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church, the government in England, the government supported the Church of England and the Church of England, the government. And politicians were all caught up in religious things and religious leaders were all caught up in politics and war, etc. And it didn't serve any of those institutions or functions very well. And immigrants came to America to say, We do not want the government and the church combined. Let the government be the government and let the church be the church. I should point out that in the Bill of Rights, the phrase separation of church and state is not there. It is in no legal government document. My advice to people is cease to use the phrase separation of church and state. Just to be blunt, I think it makes us sound ignorant when we use that phrase. That is not a legal phrase. It is in no government document. So take separation of church and state out of your thoughts and out of your mind. That doesn't exist. Here's what does exist. The First Amendment in the Bill of Rights attached to the U.S. Constitution in part says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So if you want to speak of the establishment clause, you sound like an educated lawyer or constitutional scholar. You say separation of church and state, you kind of sound a little nutty. The establishment clause 
was put in place by Christians. Christians said, we do not want Congress to pass laws to try to establish a state religion. Again, France and the Netherlands and uh, Great Britain, they had church, uh, state-sponsored churches. And if you didn't belong to the state-sponsored church, you could be and oftentimes were persecuted, even in some places persecuted to death for not belonging to the state religion. Americans said, we don't want that. Those two institutions, according to the Bible, are not to mix. And so it was actually Christians who said, we have to put in a law that says, Congress will make no law establishing a state religion. And they don't need to mess with the free exercise of whatever religion we choose to follow. So I think today we kind of get it backwards that Christians have this yearning to take over the government and make it a quote-unquote Christian government and that the First Amendment Establishment Clause prevents us from doing that. Historical reality is exactly the opposite. Christians would absolutely die if the government tried to take over or establish a state religion. If we were to write that First Amendment today, we would write it much stronger and with much greater specificity because politics and the church just do not make good bedfellows at all. All right, that's our first podcast. We've established where the government came from, what its major role is, and how citizens are to interact with the government. We also established the, the two institutions are not to be the same, and both the Bible and the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution tell us that that is the case. Next podcast, uh, we'll speak about some other things, and we'll get into some actual policy areas when we look at the Bible and politics part two. Until then, this is Andy. Thanks for listening.